This time, I'm going to ask Brother James Craig to come preach for us on the eyes of God. The eyes of God. Thank you, Brother. God bless you. Appreciate the invitation, of course, and it's good to be here. And my, I'm Jim Crace, Brother Deadweight. I'm, no, I didn't mean that. Uh, I know what Brother Tim, uh, my, my deacon, uh, talks about when I get up to speak, but Brother Nate didn't. I, we were trying to remember where we met last. I think it was Inverness for sure. And uh, he's always a hard act to follow. I'll tell you why. I appreciate his preaching and and uh, the words he brought this morning. And um, I thought, well, that's a good subject too. But I've, I've chosen, as Brother Joy's left, left me to my own design to choose the eyes of God, the eyes of the Lord. And if you're turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, Brother Nate mentioned this already. A lot of times that's what happens in conferences. I think the Lord does it on purpose to bring us to an understanding that He is God and He is in control of these very meetings. He's a sovereign God and He knows all things and He controls all things very well. And we're thankful for that. Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 says, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they looked, took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And, after, and also after that, when the sons of God came, and unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw, there's his eyes mentioned here, as Brother Hilly brought out, he saw that the witness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of, his, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Yeah. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Right. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the first mention of grace in the Bible. And you can always take that and, and use it as a, as you interpret the rest of the mentions of grace. And we see Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and I want to be clear about this, as, as Brother Larry brought out. There are some problems with understanding the anthropomorphic language of the Bible. As Brother Hill has brought out so many, a couple times last night and today, that God has condescended to pretty much to our level and that we might understand the, that which is unable, we're unable to understand. He's brought it down to a point where 
we can understand some of his characteristics right. and that to communicate with us. And, and the problem is, for example, as God described as having human actions, having human emotions, and human and humanly it reduces the God of the Bible who is spirit, he's infinite, he's almighty, it actually reduces him in some people's mind to presume that he has some physical limitations. He doesn't have any limitations. Uh, you know, even as Christ walked upon the face of the earth, he limited himself. He, he was made a little lower than the angels. And even then, not until after his resurrection, was he able to walk through doors without opening them. So, so God has limited himself. He has, he has brought himself, not that he is limited, but for us to understand the infinite, he has shown us some finite things. Uh, some of the physical limitations of humans are, are shown in God, even here in this passage where it said that God repented. We know God doesn't have to repent. He doesn't no, change. Doesn't right. So we, if you understand this portion, uh, this word of God, repentance here, uh, you understand what it means for us to repent. So, so these things are, are all good and well. But, but one another example is in order to communicate to us, and to, he condescends to a level that we might understand. And, and one of many examples is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. The example prayer, he says, After this manner pray ye our Father. Fathers are human. But God is our Father. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, you understand where God's coming from. And as, we, as this example prayer was given to his disciples, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. This is Jesus Christ speaking. But deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I want to speak to you a little bit more about the eyes of the Lord. And especially there in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, where he says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It begins with a but, but Noah. I mean, the wickedness upon the earth, as, as Brother Haley so well brought out, it was a stench in the nostrils of God. And we're even told that uh, as it was in the days of Noah, there in Matthew chapter 24, uh, so shall it be when the second coming, when Christ comes again. Uh, we may think things are really bad, and they are. I mean, the wickedness that we see on the earth today, uh, those that have attacked Jerusalem, Hamas, those evil, malicious men, they've actually poked their finger in God's eye. He said that Israel was the apple of his eye. So we see a great wickedness in the earth today. But it's still not quite as bad as Noah's day. Or the Lord would have come back, I believe. Now, you may disagree with me there, but in Noah's day, it was bad. And, and it was that. We see that that the Bible speaks of the of the Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Psalm 17, and, and I'll just kind of set up the, this message. 
Psalm 17, verse 7 says, Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. That's my next subject. Them that put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. It says in verse 8 of Psalm 17, Keep me as the apple of the eye. That's the pupil. That's the apple or the eye, that glimmer. And he says, Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked one, wicked that oppressed me, from my deadly enemies who compassed me about. So you see, the anthropomorphism, how do you say it? Anthropomorphisms, I'll say it right. I wasn't in school. I think I missed that day when they talked about the Christophany and the theophany of God. I, I'm going to go along with Brother Hill and ignore that. <laughs> Because I'll probably cross over back and forth on that anyway, brother, brother Larry. So anyway, the and and then he says in in Psalms 33:8, "Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in mercy." So we understand these resemblances, these characters to uh, anthrop anthropoid. Is from the Greek, a Greek. Now, yeah, it's from the from the Greek word uh, anthropos, which means human life. So, so we understand a little more. But we see in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in His own image, and, and I go along with a brother that I believe this is Christ. The image of God created He him, male and female created He them. Now we know that God is is uh, spoken of here in, in Christ because we're told in that Christ created the heavens and the earth in Hebrews one and verse one, God who at sundry times and different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, listen, by whom he also by whom also he made the world. And he says, who be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. It's talking about Christ. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, as I said, I want to talk to you about Noah. And, and Christ is a perfect Personation, impersonation of God the Spirit. Right. And and if when you understand that, explain it to me. How how God can be a spirit and he can still be flesh and still be God. I believe it because the Bible says he is. So when I read Genesis again this morning, chapter six, there were some things that immediately caught my attention. First I saw sin increasing in verses one through five. Uh, uh, there were nine generations, I understand, that have now descended from Adam. No way of knowing exactly how many millions or billions of people were upon the earth. But there was, I mean, the earth, they were all over. They, they covered the face of the earth, we're told. Uh, there was no small population of men by this time. And there were so many that they covered the face of the earth and and wherever men and women are found, sin is evident. 
because we fell in Adam. The one thing all men had in common in those days as in ours was sin. There was polygamy, which began with Lamech in chapter 4, verse 19. It's now commonly practiced uh, uh, today in the number of wives that, uh, that men have. The number of wives that men took then was only limited by their lust that they he could fulfill. The sons of God, the, the sons of Seth, I believe. Now there's a controversy who these may be, and you may not agree with me. It says they began to marry the daughters of men, uh, the daughters of Cain, I believe. And, and those who professed to be had, had a name to be the sons of God. They sacrificed their principles upon the altar of their lust. And I believe they married beautiful but godless daughters of Cain, chapter 6, verse 2. And there were giants in the land, we're told. There were giants in the land, verse 4. The word giant simply means uh, violent, uh, uh, wickedly, violently, greatly wicked, fallen men. They were they had the name of Seth, but the nature of of Cain, and they laid claim to God's name and His promises, because their fathers were the sons of God. But they were the sons of Cain, fallen and cursed and violent, wicked men, right. godless religious men, which we have an abundance of today. That's right. Yeah. Violent and cruel and wicked. And God saw that every imagination of the thoughts of men's hearts was only evil continually. So sin had reached its utmost depth. The stench was great, as we've been reminded. Sin was everywhere, and sin was the only appetite, the only desire that men had. It was the work of the entire human race. And it came to a point where God repented that he'd made man. And that's said to make us understand how much he hated sin. And, and the fact that he had repented, he, he, as if he'd wished he'd never made man. Because man who was created in the image of God and in the likeness of God had become repugnant to his holy creator. And as I said, as it was in the days of Noah, it's given as a sign of his second coming. Then secondly, I saw the Holy Spirit striving there in Genesis 6, verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So we see that that the spirit striving with men, I believe, is a representation of the long suffering of God. That's right. Yeah. And that calling sinners to repentance by the preaching of the gospel and, and granting granting them space for repentance, what mercy God has. Amen. He has every right to destroy us as soon as we're born. But he waits. Many times uh, people are saved at an old age. They live a life of sin. And then he extends the effectual call to them. Some of you preachers, try to remember who's the oldest person you ever baptized. 
I think mine was 73. Eva Gabbard. Now she's going on to be with the Lord, but that was some time ago. Try and remember, you don't see a lot of older people being saved. God is long-suffering, though. Amen. So we come to this, and, and what mercy God has, because God calls sinners who deserve His immediate wrath. He calls them to repentance. He grants repentance as a gift of God. And God is giving you sinners this morning, unbelievers, an opportunity to repent. But He will not always call. The day is coming when God will shut the door of mercy. Some preachers call it sending away your dead grace. That can be understood differently. Not always the same way, but harden heart. Harden your heart and harden your heart and the time will come when you won't ever be saved. Some people say, well, I'll, I'll get saved when I'm ready. You can't get saved in the first place. That's right. God has right. to save you. I don't like that term. Well, I got saved the other day. No, God saved you. You didn't get nothing except what God gave you. So to understand, thirdly, we see God repenting. And the first time repentance is mentioned in the Bible here, first the rule of first mention. And the person repenting is God himself. And understand that this verse says, and you understand what repentance is. It is a, is a change of mind. It's a change of attitude. It's taking up arms against yourself with God. Say, God, you're right. I, I deserve your wrath. I, I, I hate you until you give me grace and repentance and change my mind and change my heart. Because we know it's a change of direction and a change of action. And obviously this, uh, this is anthropomorphic expression because we know because God cannot change, nor can he be changed. If God was ever had ever changed, that man, means he did something wrong in the first place. And he never does anything wrong. And Brother Hilly mentioned that all was, when he created the heaven and the earth, he created the creatures all was good and very good, except when he saw that Adam was alone. He said, it's not good that man should dwell alone. That's the first time he mentioned that. It's not good that man should dwell alone. So he gave him a helpmate. Oh, what a blessing they are to us, aren't they? So he never changes his mind. He, he never alters his purpose. But he does sometimes, to make us understand, he changes his course of action in providence. Uh, the potter uh, is an example of this. He, he forms a, a piece and Perhaps he doesn't like it, he destroys it, throws it away. Uh, a, a piece fitted for destruction. That, you know, God is immutable. True repentance is a change of direction in a man's heart, in his life, in his desires, in his behavior. And when we see that, we, we're considering how that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, we see justice threatening there in verse 7. Says, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So we see justice threatening here. We see that 
the soul of the sinner that must die. Justice demand, demands it. A holy, righteous, and just God must punish sin. Just as God once flooded this world in the storm of wrath, he will one day consume this world with all that who do not and all that who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will destroy them in vengeful flaming fire. He will punish the wicked with everlasting destruction. Yet there is hope because God is just. He is also gracious and merciful. So the fifth thing we see in chapter 6 is grace intervening. Verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How I love that word grace. This was the first time grace was mentioned in the Bible, as I said. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And, and it is uh, by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. The cause of Noah's salvation was God's free and sovereign grace. Yeah. Our text does not say that God found grace in the eyes of Noah. That's right. As some false prophets would try to get you to believe that, you know, Houston is seeking God. No, it's not. God's looking for grace from from uh, Houston or, or from Cincinnati or, or from man. He's not. God needs nothing from man. That's right. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and that that because from eternity God had set His eyes upon Noah, and He determined to be gracious to him before He ever created the heavens and the earth. The Lord found a way to save Noah, though he was resolved to destroy the world because he had. It was God's grace, not Noah's goodness, that saved this man from the flood of God's wrath. And he provided the ark, which is a perfect type of Jesus Christ. And we won't have, won't have time to go into all that, but it was God's grace and not Noah's goodness. So grace is mentioned here, as I said, for the first time, and I think by divine providence, because grace first appears where the sin of man had reached its climax. And, and, and as if to teach us from the beginning that there is nothing in man that would cause God to bestow his grace. Right. There was no nothing found in man then or now or ever that God would look upon a person and say, yeah, I really need to be gracious to that person. He sure is good to people. <laughs> you don't find that anywhere in the Word of God. He's a good churchgoer. He does good works. God gave his grace when there was no, and grace is undeserved mercy, of course. It's unconditional. The world was lost, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The world was condemned. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The world perished. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because God always has a remnant to whom he will be gracious. Romans 11. We've been teaching out of 
a series out of Romans for quite some time. If I live long enough, I'll finish it. Hopefully, this series I'll never finish. Like our brother said the other night, you never really get to finish a message. My pages are sticking. There must be too much humidity in here. Romans 11.5 says, Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. According to election of grace. So Noah's family was blessed because of their association with him, you understand. And I want you to see that that there's no indication in Scripture that at this time any of them other than Noah knew God. Right. Only Noah. And you look at this man, Noah, he is truly a picture of God's grace because Noah was the grandson of Methuselah and the great-grandson of Enoch who walked with God and he was not for God took him. You know about the account about Enoch. His father was Lamech. His name, Noah, means comfort or rest. And the scripture seems to indicate that even his father was a man of faith. Back in chapter 5 of Genesis, verse 28 and 29, it says, And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son and he called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. So I think Lamech knew what God was all about. And he believed God. And I've got what, 35 minutes. Okay, I've got about what, 10 minutes left. I got a minute for each point. And Genesis 6 9 tells us 10 things about Noah. It says, there, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Yeah. There's some things mentioned here I think we would be remiss in not bringing to your attention. That's right. First of all, he was a just man. And here, this word is mentioned for the first time. It does not refer to Noah's character, but to his standing before God. Right. It's true, he behaved justly, but that is mentioned in the next line, the word just. Here, refers to his justification, and that by grace. Yes. Upon the grounds of Christ's obedience, and that through faith, you understand. And then he was perfect in his generation. That's where he was just, in his standing. Uh, he was sincere. He was upright. He was unblemished in his conduct. He was unspotted by the world. Unaffected by the evil generation in which he lived. How easy it is for us to fall into that same thing that Noah avoided somehow. We become complacent, don't we? Noah walked with God. Like Enoch before him and Abraham after him. Noah 
lived in the awareness of God's immediate presence. Isn't that something we need? Mm -hmm. God is present. He walked with God by faith. He, he trusted Him. He believed His Word. He heard God's call. He did His will. He was in a sweet, blessed communion with God. In the, in the Hebrews 11, 7, the book of, to the Hebrews, Noah's uh, faith is described saying, having found grace in the, in the eyes of the Lord, Noah was a man of faith. He, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's faith was mentioned. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So the, the basis of Noah's faith was the word of God. Being warned of God of things not yet seen. He believed what God spoke. And though it was contrary to reason, contrary to experience and even science, and science hadn't even rained yet. This universal flood, what's rain? Noah, build me a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> right. But he believed. The building of the ark, no one, no one ever had seen a boat. Yeah. The saving of himself, his family, all the creatures in the ark, the destruction of, the, of all who would not enter that ark. The character of Noah's faith was reverence. He moved with fear. He feared God because he believed God. He had an awesome sense of God's wisdom and his holiness and his justice, his truth. And he was overwhelmed with a sense of God's goodness. And his faith was obedience. He moved with fear, prepared the ark without delay. Before the first raindrops fell, Noah began an, an ark exactly following the pattern that God had given him. Faith acts upon God's revelation. It's a, it's a, it's belief in action. James chapter two, of course, you could read there. But God always honors faith. He, he say, we know that there is no such thing as salvation by proxy. But God does honor faith. Noah believed God and, and God saved his family. And, and Abraham believed God. God saved his seed and the land of promise. The Canaanite woman believed God and Christ healed her daughter. Because four men believed God in a, in a Christ healed a paralyzed friend. They opened up the roof, dropped him in. Right. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Amen. That's God's promise. And that faith of Noah was publicly confessed. Secret disciples are sort of iffy. <laughs> Listen, if the Holy Spirit has touched you and you've come to know Christ as your Savior, you need to walk the aisle and make it known to us. 
Right. And we might right. rejoice with right. you. Amen. I don't know about secret disciples. They're suspect right. disciples as far as yeah. I'm concerned. There could be, but let's go let's get away from that. But God always honors faith. Noah believed God. Rahab believed God and God saved her house. The word of promise is yet to believe to be believed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was warned of judgment. Because of that, he condemned the world. They were warned. God uh, called to faith. Uh, Noah wasn't quiet about that. When, when he went out to work on the ark, people, where are you going? What are you doing? You're crazy. You're a crazy old man. He said, well, God's going to destroy the earth and I'm building it with water and I'm building it. Noah witnessed to those people. Condemned them in unbelief. The means of Noah's salvation was an ark. The son of man, the son of God. In Revelation 1.13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about with paps, the paps with a golden girdle. On his head there were, and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, eyes of God. In Jesus Christ. The actual fire come out of his eyes? I don't think so, not as a human. Said in another place, out of his eyes goes a char out of his mouth a sharp two edged sword. Really? He he's given us these things that we might understand a little better who God is. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He said unto the church of Thyatira, These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. His eyes were the flame of fire, Revelation 19:12. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. Right. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We can't separate Christ from God. No. Of course, the offices are performed in different ways, but we have one God in three persons. Amen. And for us to understand that, we're given the anthropomorphisms of God. May God bless you all. God thank you. Amen. Very good. Four seconds over. <laughs> good. There's, there's nothing hidden from God, is there? Nothing hidden from God. Um, that word repent, um, speaking of God, it, it also can be translated that he consoled himself. And that's a strange way to think about it, but I believe that's what it means. He consoled himself. When he saw everything going on, how did he console himself? He destroyed, brought wrath, and saved by grace. That's how God consoles himself and what he sees. Think of Nineveh. God said he was going to overthrow them, right? 
Then it says he consoled himself. How did he do that? We saved him by grace. There was an overthrow. He did overthrow him. <laughs> he did. If you're saved by grace, he overthrew you. When God sees you, how will he console himself? The person of Jesus Christ by grace, substitution, his death, burial, and resurrection, or destroying you forever. I encourage you to repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve him faithfully. Thank you, Brother Christ, for that message. Brother White, please come lead us in a song at this time.